This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey everybody, today is another lovely day in the middle of April, and we're still amid the coronavirus craziness around the world. And yet, the podcast is still going. Hopefully, there are listeners. I know that podcast numbers have gone down since the coronavirus pandemic, but and I'm still new, so I've never really gotten my critical mass either, but yet, I'm still trudging along. And today, I have an awesome guest, Uma Kelker. She is going to share her story. She is in, a, in an interesting spot right now in her home, so she could talk about that too. Um, and and because obviously the circumstances have kind of created these uh, ad hoc work arrangements. So thank you so much for joining. Tell us where you are in the world and where you are in that part of the city or wherever you are in the world. Good morning, uh, Tamar, and I am super excited and more than excited. I'm honored to be here. I am talking from the other coast of USA, so I'm in San Jose, California, and I'm I'm honored because normal people are becoming heroes like you, communicating with the world when the world is isolating and talking and searching for stories, and hopefully we touch more people through it. Yeah. Where are you physically? Tell me, because I know I, we, when we were sharing our screens before, or rather we were sharing our cameras and we were looking face to face, you were in an unlikely area. Talk about that. So I'm in a bit of a cluttered garage right now, <laughs> uh, but I feel super comfortable uh, because there's electricity. I have a warm corn sack. Uh, my kids are taking over the bedroom. Our master bedroom has a meeting schedule. So whoever's meeting needs a clean wall gets the bedroom um, and then the other person goes to the garage. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess the circumstances create that. I have been listening. I have to edit the podcast. And when I edit the podcast, I listen in the background and I hear my kids screaming. This is just the nature of our current circumstances. And I have to say that while I will apologize for the sound because I'm the host, while I will apologize for the sound of children in the background. I don't really have apologies for children in general. I don't think people need to give apologies. My friend Amber Neslin, um, she is amazing and she actually posted this on LinkedIn. She's like, you know, I completely understand if you have pets in the background, if you have kids in the background, we're all working in a topsy-turvy environment right now and everything's a little bit upside down. And that's completely understandable. We're in these unprecedented times and we need to make do with what we can do and to keep to whatever we're doing in our businesses. And yeah, we're completely isolated and not everybody, I don't think everybody, a lot of people are pivoting and not a lot of people are are working in the same way. A lot of people are losing their jobs. So I think momentum is really, really important. So to that end, talk about who you are, where you're coming from and how you have responded to these changes. And I know that if we were doing this like six weeks ago, this conversation would be completely different. So try to speak to those two points. Yes, definitely. Uh, I do want to add on to what you said earlier. It is the time to be presented to the world as a whole human being. We can't, we 
can be professionals does not mean we don't have normal lives. And if kids are part of normal lives, yeah, I, I don't apologize. And it is time worldwide, male or female, they understand that real life intersects professional life. And therefore, the no apology is needed as long as sincere efforts made to be professional. Beyond that, circumstances rule. So I really appreciate that uh, this opportunity when we go back, children screaming in the background is not going to be a female phenomenon. Two. <laughs> I like that. Um, Tell me a little bit about what you do and how, hmm. what, if you've had to make changes, what you would have normally been doing if it was January 2020 and what you're right. doing now that it's April 2020. So I am a founder. I am a tech founder in, in the cross-sectional space of education, art, and engineering. And about now, I would have been talking to some contractors to build my prototype, um, a working prototype. I have a proto.io prototype, which is just bare bones and wireframe-like prototype. And I have pivoted... Uh, not business-wise, but I've pivoted in terms of priorities. So I am talking to potential customers right now. Since people are getting used to being on Zoom, it is easier for me to interview my potential customers or my potential perfect customers around the world and to hear their stories because the reason, just like you're interested in my story, I'm interested in other people's stories because the pain points, if you ask people specifically what their pain points are, not everybody's able to um, verbalize it. But when you hear the story or routine, I can often catch on the adjectives and the verbs they use uh, to figure out the pain points. So that's what I'm doing right now and not making a working prototype right away. Yeah. But at the same time, I was pushed into this, uh, but I'm very happy. I also paint Tamar. So I'm an engineer. I'm an electrical engineer, and we'll come to that. And for the last three years, I have not taken vacation in the conventional sense, which means I have taken vacation only to travel around the world to teach painting. So you're working, but you're not working. Exactly. And. Yeah. So now uh, I am doing online in-person classes uh, for people uh, on Monday nights and Thursday nights. And Monday evenings, I started running a free course for digital art. And the, the reaction has been great. I have kept on moving the time for East Europe, sometimes for India and Asia and Hong Kong and then West Coast. And there are so many talented artists who are so generous. Uh, we are on week seven. Uh, we're booked up until week seven. And I have reached out to artists to come and teach online. And they have. That's, uh, that's been amazing. So yeah. um, that's what I'm doing. In a way, engaging. Uh, painting is not. In, I'm not being inspired to paint, but this is my way to force myself to do it and to engage people and to do it with them or for them. Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. So I just want to kind of reiterate what you said. So you were building a product in the education tech space. Yes. And that is separate from the teaching, but that the product itself is probably going to be delayed because obviously we're in uncertain times. And yet 
because of your experience in art and teaching, you're, con- you're I-, I guess you would say that that's your major pivot. You've pivoted to kind of having these Zoom classes, or maybe it's not Zoom, but you are doing Zoom, and of course everybody is. Although this is a Skype, I don't know, maybe I should be doing these podcasts on Zoom. Everybody's, there's a lot of pushback. We're not using Skype anymore. We want to use Zoom. I have to think about that. But nonetheless, uh, you're doing a lot of these classes. That's probably, that's not something you would have been doing if this was the beginning of the year. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Or I wouldn't have been doing it next year or year after. I didn't think I would do it. Yeah, I think, I think there, there, there's still this sense of desire for belonging and connection. And we need to do these things and feel like we're not just sitting and languishing and, and building building fat on our butt, <laughs> sitting on our butts and watching TV. I think it's great that there's opportunities where there is that sense of connection, that we are able to connect um, through a, a common interest of art, Absolutely. education, whatever it might be. So it's, it's, it's amazing that you've been doing that. But I do see what you're saying, you know, I was about to, I was planning on doing an April 20th launch of my products. And then March 3rd, my life was turned upside down. Am I going to be launching on April 20th? Well, I'm doing yeah. the podcast. That's what, that's what I've been doing to stay true to the business. Right. But right. my products, uh, my factory, my main factory for, for I've been building for bottles has been converted mm. into a mask making factory. When are they going to come back to normal? I don't know and the priority is, is saving lives. So I don't know when I'm going to launch anymore. And I think you, I think we're too uncertain. We're in too uncertain times to ascertain what our next steps are. Absolutely. And if I may, so I don't know the absolute answers, but I feel that sometimes we have cultural baggage. And the cultural baggage can become a cultural asset or a baggage, I mean, depending on how you leverage it. So I feel, uh, without being overburdened, I feel the responsibility to do more in these times. For example, I have a house, I have a roof over my head, my kids are healthy, I am healthy, I have technology and access to technology, and this is far more than other people have. So there is... I mean, it would be rude and rude to complain. Right. <laughs> I love how you're giving back in a way that you're it, teaching a man to fish. I've been giving a man a fish, actually. <laughs> you know, I, I, literally, though, um, I don't like to cook. So, and it's funny, a lot of people, I, I see Facebook posts. I, there was an article in the New York Times yesterday. It was an interactive article about how, um, what costs have been going up and what costs have been going down and the cost of groceries has completely surged. But for me, I have, I'm a workaholic and I'm not somebody who spends time in the kitchen and then I have children as well. So cooking for me is not my priority. So I actually, and for my community, I've been partnering up with local food establishments. Uh, I, I run a WhatsApp group and I, you know, when I have a new announcement, I say, Hey, this food, this this establishment will be delivering on Wednesday. This establishment will be delivering on Thursday. This establishment will be delivering, like I, I, every single day there's something else. Sometimes it's it's independent of me and sometimes I'm collecting the money. Right, So right. it's a really interesting dynamic. And 
I will That's say I love it. All you're doing, you're doing more, isn't it? Because I read your article on Medium where it said that you were one of the few people who were not only affected. I mean, your community was affected early on, and then you personally were affected. Right, and a lot of us were. And it, it was funny that when I first started doing this, when I started getting symptoms, mm. I was still doing this a lot. So, so one of the biggest symptoms is fatigue, and I will say that I was completely the opposite. <laughs> so <laughs> I had the I was I was the energizer bunny. I was not sleeping, and I'm still not really sleeping. I think that it's not necessarily because of the energizer bunny. It's because of the anxiety of the uncertainty of our time. Mm. But yeah, fortunately, that was the one symptom I didn't have. I had all the other symptoms. I just didn't have them to the extremes that some people who are hospitalized have. Mm. But mm. I, it's like, we, you know, you just, I'd rather not languish. Although I am languishing in other ways that I don't want to be. For example, eating a lot of takeout mm. is not healthy. And I usually eat one meal a day and I'm not doing that anymore because... It's like, wow, I, I, I just made this partnership with this establishment that I really want to have their food from. So I'm going to eat it and I'm going to buy leftovers so I can eat for the rest of the week. Right. right. And, then, and next thing I know, I gained the COVID-19. So, um, and I did. I, so speaking, you, you asked me before the podcast started yeah. about my, what that, what, what convalescent. So I'll, I'll start in the beginning. I, yesterday I went and I donated plasma. Mm. Um, I, when I, when you're recovered, because we were an early community, our, we, we were actually isolated by a number of universities, uh, Einstein, Albert Einstein College for Medicine, Rockefeller University, Columbia University, and a number of other smaller establishments have pinpointed our community as as one of the COVID hotspots because we were the first outbreak, but we we're also the first recovered. So they came and they actually erected a little testing site by my synagogue where the outbreak began. And even though we're not allowed to congregate, we're allowed to go there for testing where we were, but we were right. scheduled. It was a schedule. It was staggered appointments. Of course, you couldn't just show up. So I made an appointment and I tested. Mm. They did. I was actually on abc7ny.com. You could Google my uh -huh. name and you'll find the, the video of them testing me. It's actually uh -huh. really bad. They, they stick a nasal swab, but this guy was, he was, he was relentless. He was brutal and he was relentless and he went all the way up my both nostrils and it was the worst. The test with the first yeah. test was not so bad. And then they take, they took some blood to see my antibody le antibodies level. Mm. And so I ended up waiting for my results and I thought I was positive because I hadn't gotten a call when all my, uh, sorry, negative. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the, yeah, sorry. I thought I was positive because all of my friends who were negative got a call and I had it. And mm. the next day I just called her and she said to me that, I'm sorry, I had the wrong phone number for you. You're negative too. Do you want to schedule a test? And I said, do you want to schedule a, do a donation? So I needed a negative test in order to be eligible for a donation but my understanding is the CDC mm -hmm. um, is is releasing. They're they're actually changing that policy so that a positive person can donate because there's so many people dying in the hospitals. So right. what it is, it is a it's convalescent plasma at least for this particular donation. I didn't actually read the material when it came to the actual testing because mm -hmm. I this stuff freaks me out and medical things are not my cup of tea. In okay. fact, I get like. I get very faint when I start reading about like this and that, even when it's not even minor, like when it's very minor rather. 
And so I didn't read it, but I decided, you know what? I need to do this because this is more life-saving than anything that I've ever done in my life. And I think it's so important. So all they did was they, they weighed me. And that's how I know I gained my COVID-19 pounds. <laughs> I'm almost there rather. <laughs> then they, they hooked me up to a machine uh-huh. and they put a, they, 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 you see them taking out blood, but there's a, something called a rinse, like a rinse back. So I think they, they strip the plasma of the blood and then they put the blood back in your system without the Ooh. plasma. You're not losing your entire antibodies. You can okay. donate again. Your body can reproduce it. But it, I think they're uh, seven days. I think now they, 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 it actually says in the blood bank, it says the next time you could donate is May 11th. Um, okay. At least when I did it yesterday, which was, um, the 13th mm. and I actually think that they're minimizing they're actually lowering that window because of the the urgency of needing the blood but I thought that this was the best way to uh, spend my time in a way that can truly change lives so yeah right. well thank you for that thank you for your work and thank you for the courage to go out and do the right thing yeah it was hard. It's hard. It's scary. And it's not, it's, it's not a pleasant experience. I'm not sure which worse though, the processing of the, of the patient, you know, just the paperwork and the logistics when you get there or the actual process of sitting there and doing it. It's a little painful. It's not so bad, but I think it was actually the bureaucracy of, of having to go through the entire thing and the logistics of it. And the disorganization, I don't want to say that, but yes, the, the, I'm, I'm, I think that that was actually worse. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's eye-opening. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so tell me, I mean, I guess your experience, you came from like a electrical engineering, you're a tech founder now. Were you always looking to be in engineering and in the tech space, or has that been an evolution that was a little bit unanticipated on your end? Uh, it has been an, an unanticipated. I was very sure growing up that I wanted to be an engineer, and I thought I would always be an engineer on a shop floor uh, or in a big a manufacturing plant, uh, but that uh, that I mean, this is a 15 year old, 16 year old talking at that point. I knew I could paint Tamar at that time, but uh, a I didn't think I was not brought up to think that arts mattered much. At the same time, there was a practical angle to it that art would never pay the bills. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you <laughs> when you start believing in something without giving it a good shot, right? Um, uh, so I w- always wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to do biomedical imaging. That's what I came to Stanford to study. And I sat in on an electronics class, and um, I fell in love, and I did electronics. Uh, for 18 years, I designed chips. That's what I do. I design chips for very high-speed communication systems. Um, and I've been in other tech startups before, so I've had that experience. But what's coming back right now is this... Uh, I'm, I'm, 
I'm going through the trajectory quickly, but when I came to Stanford to do biomedical imaging, while I was doing my electrical engineering, so biomedical imaging would be the depth in electrical engineering or uh, major, and uh, I was doing research assistantship um, and was working on brain imaging and doing things to images of brains or scans of brains of children with autism, for example. Um, and that was my exposure to brain imaging. But when I did high-speed communication, we were we were using the same uh, basis, mathematical basis of removing noise from signals, for example, to clear communications. Can I explain what that communication means in please, a very please? Short... Because yeah. yeah, you have to think about. Not everybody is tech in the in the, in the audience here. So perfect. I love that. Uh, so in a simple way, I convert light to electricity. And why do you need that? So think about these long telephone lines between you and I, between me and Tamar are going through over the land. But at some point, think about these cables going underwater in the deep sea. Uh, these are no longer electrical wires, but these are fiber optic wires. So you're sending your signals uh, audio signals you're converting to electricity. And by electricity, everybody knows that computers work on ones and zeros. Um, so far, so good? Yep, yep. Okay, but the ones and zeros now need to be converted into light and no light, and then you pass that a string of light, no light, light, no light, through a fiber optic cable, and the other end, that light, no light, has to be converted to one zero electrically, and that one zero electrically then has to be converted into audio, and that's how I and you are listening to each other. Right. Okay. So what's the big deal? Well, ones and zeros or light or no light as they go through a long length of wire or cables gets diffused or they look garbled. It's like speaking when we are close to each other and when we move farther and farther away, depending on wind and noise and other stuff, you can't hear each other well, even when you're physically standing next to each other. So think of all these other noises or disturbances as imperfections, imperfections to your audio sound or to your ones and zeros. So we have to clean it up. That's what engineers do. So about 100,000 engineers like me in the world connect 6 billion people. And that's our job. It doesn't look very glorifying, but we convert light to electricity and electricity back to light. <laughs> wow. But when you're clearing up or taking care of timing and you're taking care of noise, you're doing it in one dimension, one or zero. You think about it in art, if you have or a photo. Remember the noisy photos? The noisy photos are what we call grainy photos or photos from the 80s and 70s. And the technology that enables us to clean it up is the same mathematics that you use for cleaning up brain images or it's the same mathematics that helps you clean up um, messages across uh, satellites, across TV, across audio channels and forcibly putting in noise back in is jamming jammers is jamming images is jamming government satellites so the basis of mathematics stays the same whether you're taking noise out or you're inserting noise back in got it all uh, good yeah yeah a little bit a little bit <laughs> uh so that's what i'm doing that um i've realized that there is such a huge potential for art to be quantified every time elegance and art has been tried every time we have tried to quantify 
or measure elegance, we have failed or we thought we couldn't do it. But think about it now. This, if What we call artificial intelligence is nothing but modeling all the noise. So we have this now huge database of images and we can use artificial intelligence to clean up images or teach people how to paint better or to photograph better, where the definition of better is defined by artificial intelligence. Because it's artificial intelligence, it depends on a model that you we make. So it's an evolving definition of elegance that we can actually have. Wow. So I will tell you that most of that was all over my head, but it's I will say also, it's almost like I have to say thank you for your service because like what you're doing is like, I mean, you're making the world work. You're talking about how you were thankful and fortunate that you have electricity in your garage. I don't have electricity in my garage. So I will, I will go back to that part and say what you're doing is, I mean, things that we all take for granted and we will never understand the nuances behind it. But at the same time, it's like, I want to have that conversation where I'm like, oh, this is so cool. Like, I can't, I can't, I can't. I don't, I, like, I feel bad. But it's no, amazing. I said, it's cool. amazing. I never thought it was cool, right? Because all my friends, all not my friends, but my colleagues are all chip designers and we make high-speed chips and what's the big deal? <laughs> yeah, but it is, it is. The thing is, just think about how, what you've been doing and how possible, like, it's funny because I talk, we were talking about like April to January and how things weren't really going to be the, this way in January. But think about how in your context, the stuff that you're doing wasn't possible to do if, like, you know, that long ago. This is right. all of, it's evolutionary. Yes, it is. It we're is. all evolving. So, um, yeah. You sent three questions. Um... Well, it's not really three questions, but you know, yeah. what, what you know, the po- the premise of the podcast is people who have risen above the ashes, who have taken a career trajectory, an unexpected career trajectory, you kind of touched upon, and also what they're doing to for self care, which which is both in the context of, um, you know, normally, and what they're they might be doing differently because of the the way the podcast. Uh, well, that the the timing of the podcast that we're in the middle of or amid an insane and unprecedented pandemic that has basically uprooted our lives in a way that we couldn't have ever anticipated. And for me, I will say I haven't been as amazing in my self care regimen because half of it is going to the gym five four to five days a week. Right. You know? Right. Right. So how? I guess what's your story? Like your do you have that rising above the ashes story? <sighs> So I'll tell you my story. I don't know if it's rising among ashes, above ashes story. And the reason is this, the more you grow and the more you learn, somebody not, you always have to listen to somebody's life work. And there are people who put in decades of work after decades of abuse. And I, I can't beat that. No, I don't have that kind of story. But I'll tell you this. There are some things that have changed my, have been learnings and, I'm 42 and I can not just leverage, but I can accept these episodes and pivot points and actually make them my strength. So I'll tell you that I grew up in a 600 square feet house in which we were squatting when I was growing up. So, and that house had a metal grill for a door. 
So I never had a real door. And my study room was outside my house in the stairs to our third floor house. And in that moment, I was elated to have that space be mine, to have a staircase. Because no other family had access to a staircase with a lamp dedicated for themselves and a table. Now, when I look at it now, I find if I were to find a student doing that and studying happily, I would tell them I'm very proud of them and I love their attitude. What I'm trying to say is when you're in in the middle of adversity, you don't really think you're doing hard work, but the backdrop of adversity paints every new outcome positively. So this garage really doesn't feel hard. (laughs) Uh, So that was the thing that the backdrop helps. So... And then I, so this was a one room house and I lost my father when I was 16 Mm. and I lost a lot of my family to abusive relationships over the years. So it's not really ashes. What I did learn was self-reliance, growing up and not wasting time. Um, It's attitude. It's attitude. I came with $200 to the country. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like you do have the uh, the rags to riches story and Love you do riches. have those things. Well, you know what? You're in the process. And I was yeah. say in in the last podcast, I was talking to somebody, and I, basically, I was saying to Teresa Kwan, she was my last podcast yeah. person. I'm like, we're all in the middle of our ashes right now because this, unless you're like in an industry that has thriving in remote culture Mm. like zoom Mm. which Mm. zoom also is having its own struggles because google just banned it in the company and i will say that my um one of my clients also has banned it so Mm. i'm in the context we're we're some people are like i don't know if this this is good for anybody right now unless you are so ubiquitous like maybe facebook and like even still zoom to some degree if, you know, we're, we're able to communicate face, like we're, it, you're, unless you're a communications tool, <laughs> you're really in a bad place. I mean, even the right, price, right. Of, even the cost of gas is down. So right. just to yeah. think about that environment, we are in our ashes. So I like to think that if we are suffering in whatever way, there is literally going to be an incredible pot of gold at the end of our rainbow in due time. Uh-huh. I hope this is true, and I wish you that pot of gold tomorrow. Yeah, you too. Yeah. You too. So coming back to self care, and I, the thing other other thing I wanted to add was the community. So because I've been a hidden artist, so when you are in in the tech industry, if I've been in fiber optics and high-speed communications and analog design in so long, and I've not seen, I have maybe seen one more other analog female engineer. So what that means is sometimes I didn't realize that, but I needed a community. I belonged to engineers, but I still wanted people like me. Yeah. (laughs) And art was that segue. And over the years, in 10 years, I was, I had a pseudonym online and started building this community and becoming part of this community. And now there's this, and this has nothing to do with founding, but it's, it's useful for founding to understand the power of community. And now I'm part of this 
movement called urban sketchers. These are sketchers who sketch anywhere in the world and show the world one sketch at a time. And it's grown to more than 300 chapters around the world over the last 10 decades, uh, over the last 10 years. so what does that what what have I learned by going and connecting with these people and I'm now on that executive board that belonging is important not just to me but to everybody. So any yeah. tech solution that can make people belong more. I will say, yeah, you you brought, you probably have struggled a lot more being a female in a male dominated industry. I mean, I read about it. I I majored in computer science and I was right. thinking to that I was going to work in that space and. I, then I shifted. I don't know what caused me to shift. Maybe it was the education that I had because I mm. wanted a major and I really wanted to learn how to code, but it was, I felt that my, the education that I had was more theoretical than mm. here's how you do things. And um. yeah, and maybe male minds feel process that better. So I shifted away from that. And so did a lot of the women in my, in, in the concentration as, as, as the years went on in college. And... Absolutely. And that's evidenced by people like me because I'm like, there were more mo- women in my class. Where are they now? Right. And they're not <laughs> doing that. They probably have yeah. made their own pivots. We got to get them on the podcast. What? I was going to talk about self-care, but go ahead. No, no. I just wanted to say that, you know, having the sense of belonging is, it must be a much bigger challenge for you because yeah, you're you're almost alone in this. I'm an analog engineer, and this, and, and that's why you said it before that you've made this pivot into like your the beauty of art. I think that's important. I think we need to find our like-minded communities, and unfortunately, for some communities, they're dominated by a specific gender, and that makes it harder. But right. you need sometimes you just that's that's sort of lends itself to the necessity of having to branch out. Right. Right. Yeah. So talk about, talk about your self-care. What do you usually do besides your, your urban sketching? (laughs) Um, So Thursday nights are saved for paintings and it's like a religion in the house. So 7.30, everybody vacates the kitchen because, and the kitchen has to be pristine. So that's my mental self-care. It's yoga for my soul. Oh, great. And then uh, we have been working out. So, yeah, I've been working out more religiously, actually. And having the kids at home um, is great because I can't hide. I can't tell them I worked out and didn't work out. So I, I think children don't listen to what you tell them. They do what you do. So <laughs> I better do. And then we've, um, we've placed a... Um, a yoga challenge between me and my husband. There's a particular complex pose. I mean, the pose is simple, but it needs a strong core to be able to do it. It's called Mayurasana or the peacock pose. And every day we just try it once and hopefully we get to do it by the end of this quarantine. Um, And that's what's motivating to be able to do that. Goal, Goal setting. I like it. I would never be able to do it. I can't do like downward dog and stuff like that. I can't, I can't do the basics. A friend of mine said, don't you feel imprisoned? I said, okay, let's think about that. Yes, I feel imprisoned. So like prisoners who go to prison and come out ripped at the end of their terms, that's exactly how we are going to come out. I love that. I love that. I want to do that. And I can't. <laughs> no, I can't say I can't. 
There's never, I can't, but I will say that it's a bigger struggle because <laughs> I have this, it's like sort of an internal conflict in my mind. I want to feed my community. I yeah. want to enjoy the food that I'm feeding my community with. Oh, I want to be in, I want to be prison, in prison. Like I always used to think to myself, if I were in prison, what would I be doing? I would be working uh -huh. out completely. Yeah. But, but they don't have these plentiful options. And the thing is, you probably have more stuff. You have probably have less than we do because uh, I'm going out of my way to contact farms, people who like produce, uh, do brokerage of produce with different farms to make sure we have everything. Uh, I don't want my community going hungry. Last week, we did a big donation for the community and also the first responders. Wow. It's amazing. But at the same time, wow. you know, what's more important, making other people feel good and then I'll focus on myself later. And I think that's where I'm going, which still is very rewarding in and of itself mentally. And I think maybe that that's what I need. I don't know. I, I want it. But at the same time, I feel I love that. Oh, my God, I have to do that. I don't know how <laughs> I'm going to figure it out. But that's the same dilemma that founders have. I mean, I'm really proud of you and how you're thinking about about the community and putting it ahead yeah. uh, in terms of priorities I, and yeah. as founders don't we have the same thing that do i make myself happy or do i stay in a job and de-risk this and be financially available for my children and uh, somebody if i'm unhappy i think we will cause more damage yeah after no, certain agree. limits of care and security are you know built right. It really, it comes down to like, you know, the common theme that we kind of talk about, it's, it really comes down to attitude. Mm. I, if, if I was very depressed two years ago, I had literally suffered one of the lar biggest l losses in my life. I actually posted on my main Instagram account, a little bit of a tribute to what happened and where I've come from since, but I had specifically said that. You know, I wasn't able, that was my rise above the ashes story hmm. that I suffered an incredible, uh, to me, an incredible loss and things were, and thank God I'm in a better place. But so two years ago, if I were in this pandemic, I don't know what I'd be doing, but thankfully hmm. I'm in this pandemic now where my mind has been, it's literally like, it's the happiest I've ever been. I'm finally, you know, taking control of myself and I am also trying to, you know, do do what I can to it's taking responsibility for yourself and the people around you and I think that right. you know not everybody a lot of people are struggling there are going to be yeah we, we're all suffering in some way I'm not not suffering I'm just choosing to make the best of the situation right now right right can I ask you what that loss was and you can say no I could you know what let me just read it out loud I'm going to okay. read out loud. This is my first time ever sharing this. I did not feel comfortable. I will read, actually, I've truncated it uh, slightly. I'm going to, I'm going to, I had to uh, shorten it a little bit for the purposes of Instagram. Okay. This is a very, very personal story. It's a little bit of a raw story and it's brief but basic, but I will just, you know, provide this. So I just posted this on, on the 7th of April. So this was just about a week ago. Uh, two years ago today, I was coming home from Passover in Rochester with my best friend who I treated as a sister at a time of great emotional vulnerability. Two days later, I would be beaten and battered by the same person because my utility as a resource was drawing to an end and I was becoming worn and raggedy. 
The resulting pain of being treated with absolute disrespect when I did nothing but give an ultimate sacrifice was more painful than most things I'd encountered because the emotional investment was beyond normal, beyond most human comprehension, and it's only imaginable when someone is in such a deteriorated and weakened mental state that this union even seems plausible. To a normal person, it is not plausible. One must be so far gone to allow this to happen to themselves. And I was. Unfortunately, I was unaware how badly I had fallen, but this was the ultimate low for me, my rock bottom. And for those looking to school me on my perspective, emotional pain is different than other pain. It is all about attitude. When an attitude is already in such a negative headspace, you're bound to fall into the depth of despair. Nothing has changed in the years since, and while I still feel pain and a longing on a daily basis, I'm stronger and better than ever. I've become exactly who I needed to be. I don't regret the mistakes that put me in a trajectory of encountering the extreme agony I dealt with during and after this experience. I needed to be a victim of trauma and abuse to rise above my ashes and become stronger. Nonetheless, I sometimes wish for things to go back to where they used to be, at least socially, and now more than ever, while we are socially isolated. Imagine how someone who is fully aware of your recent struggles refuses to make contact. I suspect I can't place blame. Either way, I've moved on, and while one day I would like to seek closure, I know how impossible that would be from the perspective of an abuser admitting they were wrong, and for that, it's okay. I forgive you. I'm happy being me. I've never been happier. We are in uncertain times, and I'm feeling amazing. I can never have had this positive attitude while nursing a sick and mentally unstable individual because it becomes all too consuming and depressing. Thankfully, I'm far removed from that situation. It wasn't a choice of my own, but it worked out better than I could have hoped. Thank you for letting me see the light. It is beautiful on the other side, even during a national pandemic. Absolutely. Yeah. Hats it- off to your courage for your vulnerability and for feeling safe enough to share. Yeah. It's it took a while. I feel it's weird that I'm I'm not an online introvert. When I'm around like it's weird. I'm not I feel more willing to share things that are very intimate about myself in a written form but when I'm face to face with somebody I can barely get in a few words <laughs> I'm very articulate it's it's it, the pre- pandemic has really opened the floodgates for my writing ability and my ability to be expressive it took me 2 years to figure out how to write this and it was like 1:30 in the morning I'm like I need to do this and I just threw oh, I opened Google Keep and I just started writing this beautiful Beautiful. It's it's your way of communicating. I I totally get this. I'm an extrovert on, yeah, I I, I hear you. And you are so better off out of a toxic relationship, an abusive toxic relationship. And the world is better off because of that. We don't know how, but it it is a butterfly effect. Yeah. 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 Good for you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... I guess I'll just leave you with a final question. And I usually don't give you those. It's not your three lists of your questions that you uh-huh. really have. Because uh-huh. it's, it's one of those things where I love to hear the reaction after I ask it. Mm. So if you wanted to give yourself an earlier version of yourself some advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her that I'm smart. You got this. I mean, you are smart, or she's smart. And she's got this, because you do. I think you have it. And you got to make, you're making it work. And don't give up on yourself. I like that. Simple, yeah. and it's it's brief, but it makes it makes a lot of sense. 
Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Is there anything else that you think that we should share with the audience? Uh, nothing with the audience, but with you, that this is great. Uh, you're not only making lemonade uh, out of lemons, but when people say women rising, what does it mean? You don't really have to be a superhero. This is being hero. Yeah. This is enough. Making it, you're making yourself, you're not looking and you're not wallowing in your sadness. And I did that for a while. I think a lot of us do. And I <laughs> think that we are in the current climate lends itself to a lot of wallowing. But either yeah. you're going to find yourself distracted by helping your community and teaching your classes, or you're going to let it envelop you in a way that's not healthy. And I think... Yeah. For yeah. me personally, right? You, sh I think that it's the the healthiest thing you can be doing is pushing to help to help other right. people. Right. Yeah. Well, good luck with your startup. And yeah. Yeah. We'll I, get there soon. I yeah. will stay connected. Yeah. Yeah. You as well. Thank you so much for joining, and I'll keep you posted on on what's coming. Wonderful. Good luck tomorrow. All right. Good luck. Good luck. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Till next time, 